Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Get this going. It's a blessing to be gathered together here, and welcome to everyone um, from wherever you are. Um, welcoming, we're welcoming Sam Bear from from Alberta, Canada, and it's four o'clock in the morning there, like, like he said. And so, yeah, good to have you on, and really looking forward to your sharing here this morning on the King's final victory. So, this is the final episode of our King and Country series. Looking forward to wrapping this up with this. I'm sure it won't be the last uh, discussion or teaching on here on Jesus and his kingdom, but it's good to put the capstone on this series here this morning. So let's, let's, um, let's have a prayer to get started here this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this privilege to connect this morning with people from um, various parts of the world, and I just pray that you would, um, in your in your goodness and your grace this morning, your um, your mercy, that you would just bless bless this time together, and we just thank you for the way that you have sent your own Son as King, and and we just want to want to worship and acknowledge Him this morning and His. In his power, you, you say you have given him a name that's above every name. And we want to bow in our hearts this morning to you. And, and may what comes forth from our lives be um, in recognition of your kingship. God, I just pray for Sam as he shares this morning, inspire him. And I pray that you would use him to inspire us uh, to, further, to uh, more fully give our lives in service to King Jesus, the final conqueror. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, Sam, I'll let you um, introduce yourself any further. Um, haven't, I haven't met you yet, but I'm really looking forward to it soon. <laughs> um, and, and go ahead. God bless you. All right. Thank you, brother. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Sam Bear. I live in Cochrane, Alberta, Canada, and for many, for a couple years, um, it seemed like we were by ourselves here, and I can kind of relate to Mark and saying, you know, there wasn't any close, or in our community anyway, Anabaptist Fellowship. Um, recently, there was a family that's moved here, which has been a blessing from God and an answer to prayer. Um, so we're excited about the work of the kingdom um, that's going on here, and we seek the will of God in, in becoming a part of it here in Cochrane. So if you think about us, say a prayer. Our topic this morning, as was mentioned, is the final victory of Christ. And I have to say, when I was first assigned this, um, my thoughts went to Revelations. And I read it, and I reread it, and it was hard to put my finger on a moment that could be considered a final, uh, final victory of Christ. Now, Revelations is a bit of a tough book, and it's difficult to say which events have happened, which events are coming. There's prophecy um, and history, and during the time of its writing, um, things that were written specifically for that time itself. Um, I talked to numerous brothers about this to get their opinion on what the final victory of Jesus Christ would be. And I was amazed at the, the uh, their answers and how that they, you know, different brothers from different backgrounds all, all came up with the same, same answer as to what the final victory of Christ was. Um, in thinking about victory, we have to think about a conflict. And I realized that the things that I'm going to share today will overlap a lot of what has been shared so far in this series. Um, we will be reviewing some of the things that were covered. This series has been a tremendous blessing, um, starting off with the 
the foreshadowings of Christ in the Old Testament and going on to his coming and his life here and his constitution and uh, um, his stories. There's, there's so many rich truths that came out uh, in this series, and it was a tremendous blessing. And I hope that, and it's my prayer that um, what I share this morning will also be a blessing. In Revelations 20, I'm going to read verses 10 to 15. It says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophets are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose faith, face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their work by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So in my readings of Revelations, this seems to be a last scene in a warfare. And that warfare of the ages was between God and Satan, is between God and Satan. This scene seems to be more of a finalization than a victory won. It's not really a last battle. Um, it's more of, you know, an end statement, I guess to something that had been, has been going on. Um, and after the Second World War, they held the Nuremberg Trials, where all those who had participated in the atrocities of the Third Reich were brought to justice. And I would say this scene in Revelations would be more along the lines of something like that than the actual final battle itself. So in thinking about the final victory of our King, Jesus, like I said, um, victory denotes a conflict. And so we're going to step back in history through time um, into eternity and establish the conflict that was started. Um, like I said, some of this going back to the beginning um, will overlap some of the things that we've covered so far in this series. But I think it's, it would be good to go back over it again and we're going to go back to the fall of Satan. This seems to have been a conflict in heaven. Um, in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15, he says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation in the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. In this, we see the pride, the lifting up of Lucifer, as he was known then, and which created a conflict. And uh, other places in scriptures talked about a war that happened in heaven. And Jesus said he saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So he was cast out of heaven. Um, there's not a lot about that conflict or, or what happened. But we know that at some point, an angel, Lucifer, lifted himself up, said he was going to be like the Most High, and he ended up being cast out of heaven for it. Now we're going to go back to Genesis 1 and 2. Now, these first two chapters of the Bible um, tell a beautiful story about a majestic, all-powerful God who creates a vast universe out of nothing. And when it was complete, it was good. It's a spectacular narrative, and we are in awe of the results of that today. It seems like the more we learn, the more um, the greatness and infinitude of God is shown to us. And in this creation, God creates man. That's where we come into the picture. Um, Genesis 2, 7, 
this verse has is a beautiful thing to me. It says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. It's It touches my heart that man was formed by the hand of God himself and received breath from his mouth and became a living soul, an eternal being. It seems like an intimate experience. I bring this up because it seems like God shared some of himself in the creation of man. He shared his image, his breath, his eternal nature. There are similarities that can be drawn here with the birth of a baby, a baby who is born um, to his mom and dad. He'll have his mom and dad's DNA. Um, They can have their features and some of their characteristics, unfortunately. In Genesis 2-7, I see that we are created to be the children of God. And in Genesis 3, it sounds like God would walk in the garden that he had placed these humans in. And he would commune with them. I know Leo touched on that in his talk about the communion and the relationship that was, um, that man had with God in the garden. But it seems like, you know, we have this beautiful creation, um, the world, mankind, everything was good. God said it was good himself, which means it was perfect. And, it seems like the devil couldn't resist. So he had been cast out. There was a conflict between him and God, and he couldn't resist this, um, this jewel, this beautiful thing that God had created. And Genesis 3 starts out with an account of the serpent asking Eve a soul-crippling question, yea, hath God said, And this question planted a seed of doubt and turned into disobedience and sin. Genesis 3 paints a picture of a broken relationship between God, the creator, and what he created. Mankind was marred by sin. He bore the mark of sin. And in this, we see the vertical relationship of man would never be the same. And if we read the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, we can see that the relationships that the fall also created a problem for the relationships of man to each other. So not only was the relationship with God marred, sin brought a problem between the relationships of humans as well. I see this as setting the stage for the conflict. God's crowning creation had been separated from him and could no longer commune with him as was intended. The devil seems to have gained a foothold in creation, and the battle between God and Satan had a new battleground, which is the hearts of man. And it seems like the odds were in the favor of the devil. I mean, I say that um, carefully because I know that God is all-powerful, but um, in the instance of man, Every person born since the fall has had the nature of sin in him from birth. David says in Psalms 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And in uh, Galatians 5, it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's something in our flesh, in the senses and drives that God has created us with, that is militant against the working of the Spirit. Although it was man's choice to sin, and which caused this rift between God and man, the involvement of the devil in this makes it impossible for man to make make the move to reinstate this relationship. It's not like after the fall, Adam and Eve could just say, I'm sorry. You know, we made a mistake and have that relationship brought back. Um, Through the fall, like I mentioned earlier, the devil gained a foothold in creation in a sense that every child born after this would have a sinful nature. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Now, the rest of the Old Testament contains stories of God's dealings with man. These stories, um, they show his love and his desire to commune with them, his mercy, um, his providing a way for them to um, deal with the sin that mankind had fallen into. But they also paint a bleak picture of man's response to God. It seems like the heavy burden of sinful desire was almost too much for God's people sometimes. And they turned from God over and over till at one point in Exodus 32, he wanted to wipe them out. And if it wouldn't have been for Moses stepping in and interceding for them. But the Old Testament has another purpose. It's not just a collection of stories about the back and forth between God and his creation and his people. There is the purpose of the Old Testament. I mean, we heard about this in the first segment of this series, but you can't read that narrative in Genesis without reading that promise that God made that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Now, the entire Old Testament is rich with prophecies and pictures and types of Jesus Christ himself. So it was a pointing forward to, to the coming of a king that would bring a major change. So Jesus is sent to earth, and he is the first man to never sin. Um, Peter quotes a prophecy in Isaiah when he says, speaking of Christ, who committed no sin, nor was the deceit found in his mouth. In Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, seeing then that we have a great high priest who, have, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may, be, uh, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In this, we see the sinlessness of Christ, but we can also see a contrast from the Old Testament to the, or from the Old to the New Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, there was a lot of preparation and fear around the yearly entering the holiest of holies. Something changed through Jesus regarding our relationship with God and how we can approach him. In thinking about the sinlessness of Christ, as I was um, meditating on this. Now, since the first two people sinned, giving the devil um, an upper hand in using humanity against their creator, every person was born with a sin nature. And you, I think that, you know, this is what the devil was accustomed to working with. Now with Jesus not sinning once, he disrupted this. His sinlessness was uh, an attack, uh, pushing back of that sinful nature. Every time he was victorious over temptation, he pu pushed back the powers of darkness. Every time he healed sickness, which had come about because of the fall, he was defying the hold that Satan had. And every time he cast out a demon, obviously he was thwarting the, the powers of the evil one. He began his ministry with a resounding victory in Matthew 4. And immediately after, he began to teach the kingdom. I find it interesting that the devil shows up and tempts the first Adam in the beginning. And when the last Adam, as Paul calls him in 1 Corinthians 15, when he's about to start his ministry, guess who shows up and tries to trip him up? And he, I think he knew that if he could get Christ to fail once, even one sin, he could disrupt that plan. Now, the life of Jesus is a narrative of victory. He lived in power over the flesh. He also lived in close communion with his father. The way we were created to live, 
He was a man that did everything differently than any man before had ever done. After three years of his pushing back the powers of darkness, um, disrupting the way uh, mankind had lived up to this point, the devil was, we can imagine he was frustrated with this and he wanted to get rid of him. And through the frenzied scheming of the religious leaders of the day, he gained a death sentence and he unwittingly set the stage for the greatest victory of all. In going to the cross, we see the extent of the change in this new man, his total surrender and willingness to sacrifice himself for the whole world shows a level of love that the world had not seen to this point in his death. He dealt a crippling blow to the work of the devil. And when he rose from the dead, he robbed death of its power. The fear of death seemed to be a weapon of the devil. And he was robbed of that in the resurrection of Jesus. Paul quotes something very similar to the prophet Hosea in first Corinthians 15, 55, when he says, Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? Not only was Jesus' life and teaching a total disruption of the course of man, but he also established his kingdom on the earth and provided a way for mankind to have the spirit of God with them. Jesus' coming, his sinlessness, changed everything as it had been from the beginning. The New Testament or the Old Testament pointed forward to this time, the king that would come and that would start a new kingdom here on the earth that would have a power that could push back the powers of darkness that could undo in a sense what the devil had done at the beginning. Now in talking about the final victory of Christ, it seems like the work of Christ is done that his victory was completed in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. But there is, a, there is a sense where that work is being carried on. And that is in the establishment of his kingdom here on the earth and through his church. And it's interesting, the first time Jesus mentions the church in Matthew 16, I'll just read verses 18 and 19. And he says, and I... Also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Up until the arrival of Jesus, the presence of God could only be found in the tabernacle or the temple. And if you're thinking about this in the terms of a conflict or a warfare, that battlefront would have been relegated to a specific place where the presence of God is. And I know the Holy Spirit did um, rest on men in the Old Testament occasionally, but through the coming of Christ, through his sinless life, um, through his power over the sin nature, um, the foothold that the devil seemed to have uh, with mankind, he established a new way of moving forward. And if we're using terms of conflict, it seems like the battlefront went from being in one place to the spirit coming and dwelling in the hearts of man. And now it's spread out through all nations of the earth. The victory that Christ brought through his death and resurrection and through sending the Holy Spirit changed the course of history. And through the church, the victorious church, the meeting of the kingdom, which he says he gave the, the keys to the um, kingdom of heaven. So we have the authority of Christ we can take the battle to places that it seems like it could never go before. Paul talks about um, 
I'm just going to read 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 6. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I guess that there's um, times in my Christian life where I've thought that my battle against sin was offensive. You know, the devil was going to come to me and tempt me. And by the grace of God, I would receive the power to overcome that. Um, the way Paul talks about this battle is more of an offensive. He says, we have the weapons. We have the weapons we need. We have the um the powers of heaven at our disposal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. I guess the, the idea that I would like to bring forth is Christ finished his work here on the earth, but in a sense, he set up, well, not in a sense, he set up a kingdom that we can be a part of that will carry on the victorious work that he began when he came. And I know he established the new humanity that uh, brother Leo talked about in the last segment, but we carry on this victory. Amen, brother. We have the authority given to us by our king. We have the weapons. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of God. And in thinking about bringing the battle to the powers of darkness in our communities, in the places we live and where we serve, we can be mighty in pulling down strongholds. Strongholds, I mean, if you think about it in the sense of a war, um, you know, the enemy comes in and establishes a, a strong, formidable fortress or something where it seems impenetrable. But if we think about it in the spiritual sense, um, you think about the places in your community that would be strongholds of the devil um, in people's hearts, in the things that they're doing. This is this is our battle. And according to Jesus himself. This is our victory. And in our, I would also like to add that each one of us helps to build and strengthen the kingdom through his own personal victory over sin, just as Jesus did through his sinless life. And I'll admit, um, I've always would have thought as building the kingdom as bringing people into the kingdom or strengthening the kingdom. But there's a very, very personal aspect to this. Our own victory over sin is a victory of the kingdom. And it's, um, it's through our personal victory over sin that the kingdom can grow in our lives and in our communities. And each battle we fight ourselves we are pushing back the powers of darkness, just as Christ did with every victory he won over temptation. I was going to read a verse in Hebrews, and I can't see that I have it on here. Oh, I did read that. Hebrews 4. 
he talks about, for we don't, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus' sinless example is something for us to follow, to strive for, to press toward. I realize I'm probably wrapping up here a little too quick, but I guess that gives us more time for discussion after. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. So in summary, there's a conflict between God and Satan, which started a long time ago. Satan was cast out of heaven. God created man in his image for his glory, for his relationship. And sin came, broke that relationship. But Jesus lived a sinless life showed us a power that no human had ever known. And his life was a powerful victory. He won a resounding victory on the cross and through his resurrection. But he didn't just stop there. He established a force here on the earth through the kingdom that he established here, through the church. And in Revelations 3, I think it is, he says, I'll just find it and read it. He was talking to the church at Laodicea. Revelations 3.21 it says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me in my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father in his throne. I guess the, to me, I mean, the work of Christ himself was done. He sat down at the right hand of God. Um, Stephen witnessed him sitting there, and that um, shows a completion of work. But his work is carried on the work through the work of the kingdom and through us. And he promises that if we overcome to the end, we will also be able to sit down in his throne with him. I would like to read in Revelations 19 to wrap this up. I'm going to read uh, maybe verses 1 through 16. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged in her blood, in her, the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have, test who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords.
I want to be at that marriage, the marriage supper, but that's for overcomers. All right, turn it back to you, Wendell. Well, amen. Thank you, Brother Sam. Um, yeah, that this talk took a different turn than what I was expecting. And like you said, when, than what you were expecting at the beginning. So that's that's fine. That's good. I really, yeah, that's, that's a very thought, thought-provoking thinking about how in our personal lives and also in our communities, how we have the privilege of being, being part in our, in our own, yeah, our own taking, participating in this final victory and being one of our lives. So I guess my one question that came to me as I was thinking about this is, is if, if this, if Jesus, Jesus is our King and he is victorious, we see him. uh, I especially, I think of, Philippians 2, Jesus is, is the one who is, I think I referenced that earlier, God has given him a name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, so in our lives as Christians, why do we so often find ourselves failing and falling short, whether personally or corporately, that, that we, um, yeah, the king has won the final victory in us. What, what's what's the problem? Maybe we could have some discussion about that. Maybe you have some thoughts, Sam. That's a good a good question and something that we should be should be wrestling with daily. Um, it's something that I've been discussing uh, with a brother quite a bit. Is you know how we wrestle with sin. I guess the. My thoughts on that would be we have the provisions. Um, our leader has conquered, but we are still in the flesh. And, you know, if we could, I was reading in Second Peter, Second Peter 2, or is it, no, Second Peter 1. He talks about having divine power um, pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ, which we've been called by glory and virtue. Um, he's given us great and precious promises and that through these, we can be partakers of the divine nature. I mean, we talked about the um, sinful nature this morning and then Christ had a divine nature, which he was sinless. And having escaped corruption that is in the world through lust, and then he says, we got to be diligent, adding to faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control. And he lists all these things. Um, and in reading this chapter, if we, it seems like a roadmap to victory over sin and partaking in the divine nature. But it seems like we forget to be diligent in these things. The, 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 the fault of our lacking in victory, if we lack in victory, isn't in the king or the victory that he won. The fault lies with us in our, our lack of diligence. And at the end, um, close to the end of that chapter, Peter says, I'm going to remind you of these things. And he says, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things that even after I'm gone, um, and in, earlier on, he says, for this reason, I will not be ne- negligent to remind you always of these things. So the fault lies with us in forgetting the, the victory of our king and the power we have. But I would be interested in hearing any of your other thoughts on that. Yeah, well, thank you. That's, I think that's, that's, that's good. I realize the king, our king has won the victory and the power is is available too often we don't claim that power uh, yeah okay well thank you um anyone else that has some comments i'm sure you've you've thought about some questions for sam and i don't think i warned you earlier but if you're if you've been on here before you know that's how we do this uh, question and answer time 
So, yeah, let's let's have some discussion. Let's have some questions. What are, what are you thinking, brothers, right now? Sam, um, thank you for for sharing. And <clears throat> as you tie together. Um, you tie together the, the beginning where Satan shows up and then, then God's son coming to earth, beginning his ministry and Satan shows up. You know, I've never, it just, it, it, well, it stood out to me just in a whole new way. And, and Jesus was victorious in that, uh, in that temptation. And wow. I mean, that, that's, that's, you know, remember, Brother Ken, he challenged us that we should be thinking about our motif. Our, our theme should be Jesus is risen. <laughs> and it could almost be like Jesus is sinless, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's the victory. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was dealing, he was crushing. He, uh, Genesis 3 was, was real. Um, oftentimes we say Genesis 3 is real when we think about sin mm-hmm. and struggle in the church. But here, Genesis 3 is real. Jesus is crushing the head of the serpent. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Um, and, and then uh, we're, we're, our family is memorizing Romans 8, as many of us are for KFW. And just last night, you know, we're, we're running behind as always. Um, and we're, we're here in verse um, 31 uh, of Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then verse 32, my children could wrap, wrap, wrap their minds around what Paul's trying to say. I tried to explain this thing um, through some different illustrations. But verse 32 is, is, is really powerful. He, speaking of God, he who did not spare his own, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him, how shall God not with Jesus mm-hmm. also freely give us all things? It ends in a question like, it's like Paul's like, hey, look what God just did. Mm-hmm. He gave Jesus. And what, what a better, what a, I mean, that's the best gift, only begotten son. And so because of that, he's going to freely give us all things. It's, it's, everything else is less. Than that and, and he's going to give us these things um mm-hmm. and also i appreciated too your focus on to be victorious you know yeah we often tend to think we often kind of look out the battles we're trying to conquer and seeing other people um but you brought us back to that we we are our own worst enemies mm-hmm. <laughs> we are our own worst enemy and in advance of the kingdom we are um and so lord help us overcome our flesh and and conquer through Christ and be like Jesus. Um, thank you for sharing. Yeah, amen. Someone else? Go ahead. Yeah, I've been studying uh, Ephesians 6 and the, the armor and the thing that stood out to me there was, is, and having done all through stand, like you can do it. This is, this isn't like, Oh, we wish we could. Um, and we fail, but no, it, it is possible. Like this can be done. We can live a sinless life. Um, however, then we are human. though. <laughs> you remember that part because we are human and, and, and we fail or we forget or how, or even just in our ignorance, we, we do things we shouldn't do. But it is it is possible. And uh, that's just been a blessing to me. Amen. That's a discussion I've been having a lot with a couple brothers. And it strikes me how we say, you know, this is, we want to follow the example of Christ. We have all the provisions to for power over sin. But we always add this, but you're going to fail. And it seems to be the the tagline of the modern Christian churches is, you know, you're going to fail. You know, we're just going to live in sin anyway. Um, I know most of us wouldn't say it that strongly, but I know a lot of Christians that would 
would say we're just sinners on the way to heaven. And, and that's not the case. And it's really the only place in our lives where we add that we're going to fail. I'm a concrete finisher and I shoot for perfection every time I do a project. I know that my projects aren't going to be perfect, but that doesn't keep me from going for perfection every time. And when I'm going to do a project, I don't say, well, guys, let's do this, but we're, we're not going to make it perfect. Let's just do what we can. No, we say, do you remember what we did wrong last time? You know, let's, let's go for perfection. So it amazes me that in the most important thing in our lives, our relationship with God and overcoming sin, we always set ourselves up by saying, but, you know, we are, we are going to fail. Um, and uh, athletes will say that if they go into a game against a formidable opponent with the idea that they might not have a chance, they already set themselves up to lose. And I wonder if how much of our losing and our failing is because we set ourselves up by saying, well, you know, I'm going to fail instead of shooting for the perfection of Christ. And at the end of the day, looking back and saying, well, this is where we fell short. Father, forgive me. And I hope I learn from these mistakes so that tomorrow morning I can face the day and head into it as, as a conqueror instead of setting ourselves up for the weakness. Yeah. Amen to that. I have a question along that same line. Uh, in 1 John 3, 9, it says, Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. So if, how does that tie in if, if we believe and still sin? That's a good question. I can't say I have the answer to that. Does anyone else have some insight on that? So I haven't done a lot of um, in deep study on that in that passage. I think that my brother John D has some teaching on this on First John and the difference between failing and living in continual sin. Like there's a difference between um, just giving up, like you're saying, you know, giving up the battle and not even trying, and living in a in a state where you're where the where you basically lost and and then there's a difference to someone who is is fighting but makes the wrong move or or let's let's the enemy push him back and i think as you're saying this victory i think to see the victory in those terms i think is helpful for, for me i think about we're in a battle that, that's a thought that i have I don't, I don't know maybe someone else has some some light to shed on that I've always looked at that passage of scripture in light of willful sin, where we premeditate and we make a move in the direction of sin, knowing full well the consequences of it and the repercussions and all of that. Um, maybe that's not quite a valid interpretation. I'm not sure, but um, forget where it is. Romans, I think, or he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And that's that might be more the type of sin he's talking about there. Okay, thanks for the input. Questions? Someone else have some thoughts or question for Sam? Now we're all talking about I hate to do this, the peanut gallery thought. <laughs> I'm finding when I, I'm trying to figure out how to do this without being all over the place. Many times I've started things and if I listen to the voices around me, what happens is if 
I link into what they're telling me. I'm going to fail before I start. Mm -hmm. There's a group of brothers in Chambersburg. What they've done is they've banded together and they're being brutally honest with each other about what they suffer with. You know, the unfortunate thing, who really wants to sit and talk about what their plague is and what they fight about? And unless we break it down to where it's like hand-to-hand combat and be brutally honest with what's going on. Like I suffer from pornography and that's just one thing. But the other thing is I like pleasure, food, cigars, Unless I tell you guys what I struggle with and I, you know, and be brutally honest about it, I'm never going to get victory. Mm-hmm. If I'm nice, if I'm polite, if I'm, I do it in such a way where I hope you get the inference of what I'm talking about, I'll fail. And maybe I'm off point here, but, you know, I struggle. I struggle because I don't get encouragement to the level of what I think I need. Thank you for bringing that up, Patrick. Um, The necessity of each other. And when we say that, you know, Christ established the church to carry on his victory here. And I think that is a, a very important part of that is how much we need to depend on each other to gain victory in our lives over sin. And that's something that I've been learning more and more um, in my own personal study is we have all these provisions for us to overcome sin, but Jesus didn't, he wasn't talking to us personally. He was talking to the church like to, to a body of people um, when he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He wasn't saying that one person can prevail against the gates of hell, that it was a body. And I think that that's important that we remember that, Satan, that we, this isn't a solo mission. Satan was a corporation of one. Yeah. And that's his problem. Mm-hmm. He thought he could overcome it when he was in the body. He was strong. That's what this thing right here, we're, we're all talking about. Each day that the COVID thing went on, I got weaker, 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 because I don't have the discipline to sit there and read the Bible for 18 hours, 35 days, 55, 75 days. I lack community. That's what I did here in Harkinhouse. I started a community of misfits. <laughs> You know, and I need a community Mm -hmm. of misfits to make me fit in correctly. I'm a sinner. I'm sorry I over-talked you, sir. Hey, well, thanks for for that, Patrick. Um, I think we need, yeah, need to hear the different other people's experiences. And as I'm thinking about this, I think what is, what is the scary part about this talk here is thinking about how I was expecting, you know, a really upbeat talk about how Jesus has won the victory and, and, you know, and in reality, Sam, is what you're saying is Jesus won the victory and now he's handing the battle weapons over to us. And now it's our responsibility to fight. And that's really scary because it means that I am responsible in the incredible, the incredible reality that Jesus turns the reputation and the um, yeah, the really the the possibility for defeat or victory over to His people, mm-hmm. and and I, I think of when Jesus left Earth when He ascended and He leaves His disciples behind, just like gaping open mouthed in the clouds and and he's like it's up to you now and and he doesn't leave them to do it in their own power he says you will receive power mm-hmm. and, and and we're in that that's where we are today but really he's, he's looking back at our own hearts both per- personally and together like it's up to us now <laughs> and Jesus has won the final victory 
but yeah, you carry on. Here's an upbeat thought. Christ thought we could do it. He He knows that we can do it. Right. Like we isolate, we get into that reputation. Oh, if I tell somebody this, oh, what will they think? Mm -hmm. Who cares what they think? Hell is eternal. Flames are hot. And down there, do you think there's going to be a hierarchy? (laughs) Well, I, you know, the reputation needs to go. Mm -hmm. I like the term fool for Christ. Yeah, very good. Anyone else have some thoughts yet? Yes. Uh, There is victory over... Uh, pornography. My battle with it was very, very private, uh, but I don't. I'm, I'm not bound by it anymore. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So, uh, don't give up. Right. And I had okay. it bad. I had it really bad. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that encouragement, Dan. In preparing, sorry, Wendell, in preparing for this, the song Faith is the Victory That Overcomes the World um, came to mind. And, you know, that's that's a pretty strong statement. I mean, we can we are overcome. How do we overcome? It's through faith in the provisions, the work of Christ and in the provisions that he gave us. And one of those provisions is a body of believers that we get to work and labor with and um, press each other on to victory. Yeah. Amen. Well, I, I'd say we can, we can wrap this up if it's about seven o'clock and thank you so much, Sam, for bringing this challenging. Uh, yeah. Jesus final victory. You want to lead us in closing prayer, Sam? Sure. Holy father, we're so grateful for your love and your mercy to mankind, even though it seems like we are, so persistent in pursuing our own ways and forgetting the things that you've done. I can't imagine, you know, looking at it from your perspective where you have laid out this beautiful plan. You sacrificed your own son who came to earth to die that we could live. And through all the the gifts of love and the promises you've given us so many times we seek our own way. Forgive us, Lord. Um, We thank you for the challenge to, Take up our cross daily to fight these battles. Help us to work from positions of strength that are mighty to tearing down of strongholds, the powers of darkness in our communities. May this message be made personal to each one so that we realize that our, our personal victory over sin is the building of the kingdom, is the strengthening of the kingdom in our lives, but also in the lives of those around us. And help us to realize how much we need each other and the love and the support of uh, faithful men and women who can build us up in the faith and encourage us when we fall and can support us in our times of weakness. We thank you for this opportunity to gather in this way. We pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to each one of our needs today as we go about our daily duties. Help us not to be burdened with the cares of this life but that our um, spiritual vision would be clear and that we would press toward the mark so that we can overcome just as our king overcame and we can sit down. What a beautiful picture. The overcomers sitting down at the marriage supper of the lamb. May this um, be the encouraging force in our lives that we would be like Christ and overcome. Be with each one, and may you add a blessing to the discussion we had. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank, thank you, Sam. Thanks for everyone for joining this, this morning. And then welcome you back next week. On August 14, we have Zach Barkman come on to talk about witnessing Jesus. So looking forward to that, sharing his, his, um, some of his experiences in evangelism and and. Hopefully that could be an encouragement to us. And then two weeks from now, there is no strength to strength uh, Saturday morning talk for, I don't know, it's been quite a while. I guess maybe since you've got this thing going, Patrick, 
or maybe maybe last year just skipped as well over Kingdom Fellowship. I forget. Um, so it's Kingdom Fellowship weekend, and I am really looking forward to meeting some of you in the flesh. <laughs> um, Sam, looking forward to seeing you all the way from Alberta. That will be a real blessing. And I'm sure some of the rest of you who are on will be there. And yeah, so till we meet again, <laughs> God bless you all. Amen. Have a good day. Have a wonderful day. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.